Hallelujah. Let's continue to praise Him this morning in this place. Amen. Try. 
Amen. Isn't he good? In every season, Lord, every season I go through, I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Hallelujah.
of kings and Lord of lords. We lift you up today, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. If you need a touch from the Lord today, just reach out.
experience that going from darkness into light say amen darkness is no fun when you don't have any light uh, whether it's physical darkness spiritual darkness it is a troubling place but praise God that he brought us from darkness to light because we've trusted him amen amen you may be seated this morning As the ushers come, we're going to receive this morning's tithe and offerings. And uh, we just want to commend you as a church for your generosity over the past month and couple months. Uh, we've, I know we've taken several offerings and really you have risen to the occasion as a church. And we just want to say praise God for uh, generosity and for your heart to give. And so let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness right now. Thank you for your blood that made us moving from darkness to light possible. And Lord, let this offering reflect uh, a generous heart of worship today in Jesus' name, amen.
Is there a problem? The so-called miracle worker? Jesus of Nazareth. Apparently something good can come from Nazareth. <laughs> Throw me like a stone in the water. Watch the mud rise up. If we are going to have a question and answer session, every time we do something you're not used to, it's going to be a very annoying time together for all of us. There are righteous men on the lookout for you, and they are weighing every word you say. That's not for you. This is different. Get used to different. We didn't choose him. He chose us. I see you. Oh, I really don't like that man. Follow me, and you'll see more. Was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. And so it's time. Let's go. If you have enjoyed the series Chosen, or if you have not had a chance to even watch it yet, we are beginning next week our Sunday morning life group. We'll be talking about Jesus. And uh, what better thing to talk about life group than Jesus, right? So uh, please come on out, and uh, Dwight Walters is going to be leading that. So check that out beginning, beginning next Sunday. <clears throat> and uh, hey, a couple registration things to, to make sure you're aware of. Uh, kids age 4 to 11, please register online for the Make Waves VBS 22. And some of you, I just say the word waves, and you can't wait to go to a place maybe where there are waves. I don't know. And uh, you're excited about it, but we're going to have some incredible uh, things going on for our kids there June 27th through the 30th. Make sure you're aware of that. Register online. Also, Youth Camp Deposit is due today, $134. Make sure you write a check out to Praise Assembly and uh, put that in the offering, and we will make note of that. Also, May 22nd is our Kids Ministry Recertification and First Time Certification be aware of that as well. And uh, 
as um, I'm heading down today, just to um, give you a reminder that this coming Wednesday night, we're going to have a series, and it's, an, <clears throat> excuse me, it's entitled Sacred Pathways. And uh, how, many, how many think prayer is important and connecting with God is important? And uh, this series is going to deal with the fact that God has wired you up, created you, and he is so vast that connecting with him uh, is not only so important, but it can be done in many different ways. And so uh, as we prepare for uh, this coming Wednesday night series, Sacred Pathways, let's check out this video. I grew up in college with a certain way and time to have a quiet time. And then when I was a young dad and lived in a small town home with three kids, and had no money, and frankly was frustrated vocationally. I discovered this sanctuary where I could walk for an hour and a half and not see another soul. And I can't even describe how God used the beautiful nature out there to just awaken me to His presence. Growing up more as an intellectual, I thought I had to be studying, and I still studied every day. One size fits all doesn't work for hats, shirts, or pants, it certainly doesn't work for devotion with God. And when you understand the pathways, you realize that's all the full expression of faith in God, and some people are more naturally inclined to aspects of how they meet with God. So for me to have the freedom to pursue God, I need to understand the different pathways, and for me to respect and learn from others, I have to understand all the different pathways. Are we still going out tonight? Yeah, I just need a minute. All right, I'll go get ready. Hubby vision. See the world through your husband's eyes. left your shoes in the middle of the room again. Oh, there they are. You ready to go yet? You probably haven't noticed, but I haven't changed clothes yet. Hmm. Whoa, look at the walls. There really is a difference between pebble gray and driftwood. Hey, honey, have you seen the walls? Did you know these pictures are crooked? Nothing fits, everything looks terrible. Let's just go eat dinner. 
So guess what our topic is for today? <laughs> yeah, our topic is marriage, and we're going to study this over the next several weeks, ending in June. And of course, June is traditionally known as the wedding month, and I've titled this series, The Knot. Okay, and you can translate that however you want. And of course, there are a lot of jokes about marriage, about married life. Many of them are about wives. And I don't know if this, is, this one's true or not, but it keeps circulating through the internet, Facebook, etc. It's reported to be seen in the New York Times some time ago in the classified section. And the ad reads like this. It says, complete set of Encyclopedia Britannica, 45 volumes, excellent condition, $50 or best offer. No longer needed. Got married last weekend. Wife knows everything. <laughs> and then, of course... You know, how many of you remember Henny Youngman? You got to be on the older set, and some of us caught that rerun type, you know, thing. But he was a master of one-liners, and, and here's, a, here's a sample of what he has to say. He says, remember this, marriage is the number one leading cause of divorce. Statistically, 100% of all divorces started with marriage. That's how he did math. He also says, I married Miss Wright. I just didn't know that her first name would be always... And I've got two more for you, if you've got the patience. And this one I used recently. And I do love it. But again, things are changing. You remember the old televisions? Big tube, you know. Today, they're all flat panel. And so it, it, this, this one I probably can't ever use after today. Uh, but Henny Youngman once said, I'll admit it. He said, the last fight was my fault. My wife asked me what was on the TV. And I said, dust. And so again, with the big TVs, you get it? So I can't use that anymore. He also said, in the beginning, God created earth and rested. Then God created man and rested. And then God created woman. And since then, neither God nor man has rested. <laughs> and, I, and I know that I probably shouldn't have shared these. <laughs> and yet I'm sure that some people might. I mean, you, you can. They're, they're kind of cute. If only they were funny and harmless one-liners. But the truth is that they also remind us that there is a tendency to degrade one another's gender. There is. Men and women, we're different. We're different. And it's funny how, you know, when we're in the dating stage, we love the differences. Oh, she is so different. And we'll brag about how different she is. And, and she's like, oh, he's so unique. And he's so different from, and they do things differently in his family. And then they get married then the differences aren't fun anymore and they begin to depreciate or the, the institution of marriage. And, and so in order to equal, to, to equal the score between husbands and wives, because I, I gave all the jokes about wives this morning, I want to give equal time to both genders and I want to share a story about men. Uh, it's called His and Hers Road Trip. And again, I've used this before in addressing marriages, but it really is an accurate description of the difference between men and women. So here is a her road trip, a woman's road trip. Goes like this. Step one, she pulls off at the wrong exit. Step two, she opens a window. Step three, she asks, asks for directions by a knowledgeable police officer. And step four, she arrives at her destination on time. That's, that's a hers road trip. That's how women get from point A to point B. Let's take a look at his road trip. A man's road trip. 
Step one, pulls off at the wrong exit, just like she did, but absolutely positive it's the correct one. <laughs> Step two, drives five miles into the wilderness, still thinks he's right. <laughs> Step three, drives an extra five miles just in case. <laughs> and I know I've done it. Number four, pulls up to a 7-Eleven. Step five, gets three hot dogs, a large slurping, and a beef jerky. Step six, asks the foreigner behind the counter how to get back on the highway. Step seven, gets back in the car. Step eight, laughs at the idea of looking at a map as he pulls away from the 7-Eleven. Step nine, drives down a dirt road with no streetlights, insisting this is the way back because Habib El-Madin said it was. Step number 10, almost hits a deer. Step number 11, drives and fiddles with the radio. Step number 12, laughs at you for suggesting the map again. Step number 13, admits he didn't want to go to your sister's for Thanksgiving anyways. <laughs> he doesn't like your sister. Ever since she called him a pernicious weasel. He had to look up the word pernicious. Couldn't find a dictionary. Finally found a dictionary, couldn't spell pernicious. Step number 20, steaming at the memory of it all. But she is laughing inside, and of course, you're still lost. That's a his road trip. Are we there yet? Are we even now, male and female today? I mean, actually, I do have one more. Um, it said that in a marriage, there are two partners. One who's always right, and the other one is the husband. But you know, other than a few ups and downs, seriously, I've got to tell you, married life is great. It really is great. And as I was putting this message together, I realized how blessed I am and how God, good, good God's been to me because he is the one who, who directed me to marry the former Kathleen Ann Lowe of St. Louis, Missouri, 44 years ago this coming September. It'll be hitting 44 years. Can't believe it. I remember when it was a big thrill just to be married as long as I had been single. And there's another joke. I'm not going to go with that. I just... But you know, you can. You can joke all that you want about marriage, but your marriage can either be a blessing or it can be a nightmare. And when I tell you that our marriage is a miracle, I'm not using hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating in the least. We both made our share of mistakes in our pre-Christian dating life. And we also were both raised in homes that although 1,200 miles separated apart, we were also very similar in their dysfunction. Both families were very alike. We grew up in homes that were filled with animosity between the spouses, between our parents. The fighting was atrocious. Both of our families consisted of six boys and two girls. It was, it was really strange. We both had, had seven siblings. My family was Protestant. Hers was Catholic. And I mention this because whenever there was a fight between our parents, the main difference was this. My family would eventually call the police. Her family would also call the police, but then they'd call the parish priest. That was the only difference. Same fights. Her parents married out of high school. My mother was almost 16 when she was married to my dad, who was just about a uh, 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 well, he was illiterate, but almost an Italian immigrant. He was born only months after they came over and went through Ellis Island. But he was nine years her senior. He was around 24, and she was 16. She already had a child out of wedlock. But here's this. 
Protestant Irish, that was my mother, meets Italian Catholic man. What a combination. I mean, they fought for at least the first 50 years of their marriage. And I can't tell you the number of times that my mother would warn me. And, and not, not in a fit of anger. I mean, just, just casual conversation. My mother would warn me over the years as a teenager, and she'd warn my other siblings as well. She would continually drill this into us. And she would tell us as kids and as teenagers, she would say, please, do not ever get married. Please, it'll ruin your life. Don't ever get married. And I cannot tell you how hard it was when that day came. It finally arrived, and I had to tell my mother that I was getting married. I felt as though I was letting her down. I felt as though I was disappointing her. And yet I wanted to marry. But I felt like a failure for having that desire. Because we'd heard this mantra for years. Anyways, I, I said all that to say this. Kathy and I had a very negative image of marriage. We were both afraid of marriage. And yet we wanted to be married. And so we jumped in. We dated for six weeks in person, and then we were married. You're supposed to go, <gasps> no. It was six weeks over a period of three months. So we weren't always together because we were separated by about 1,200 miles, and our correspondence was by snail mail. If you can imagine that. Can you imagine writing I love yous with a postage stamp? Take like three weeks by Pony Express to get to St. Louis. Another three weeks to get a response. I mean, a whole three-week period, you're wondering, I wonder if she still loves me. But we jumped in with an understanding. We believed that we knew the risks because we'd seen the risks. And we knew that our marriage would have to be founded upon something more than just infatuation or sheer emotion. We'd seen two of the worst marriages and we'd seen them up close. What if ours would also someday spiral out of control? You know, are we going to go that same path? How can we guarantee fidelity? How can we guarantee intimacy? How can we assure that there's going to be loyalty? How could we promise to forever remain committed? And what we came up with is that just as there would be a decision to marry, and a decision to bring us to the altar on one specific day, there would also have to be a daily decision to commit every day thereafter. Amen? Just, I mean, you, you were so in love. You came down that aisle and you pledged your love one for another, your commitment one to another. And you have to do it the next day too. And the next day. Even when it's not easy, you have to do it. It's, it's a decision. It's an act of the will. It has nothing to do with emotion. I mean, there, there'd be no other option except what was found in our vows, that it would be till death do us part. Because you see, we made up our minds that divorce would not be an option. Murder possibly, but not divorce. Because we were going into the ministry. We wanted a biblical marriage. We wanted one built upon a conviction, which in turn was based upon Scripture. Again, not just feelings, not just emotions. We wanted something that our parents had not known. And let's face it, our generation is not a friend of marriage. Hasn't been for a long time. 
And even many Christians today are ignorant of what it means to live in a God-ordained marriage. You see, I want, I want you to know that many Christians have forgotten, really forgotten what the Bible says on various topics. And today's topic and the next several weeks is going to be on marriage. I want to read to you a sad, sad letter to Abigail Van Buren, Dear Abby. How many remember Dear Abby? Used to be, I mean, you know, she had a, a column in the newspaper. How many remember what a newspaper is? <laughs> you know, just, you know, we don't have those paper things thrown on the lawn anymore. Very few of you anyways. But Dear Abby was a columnist. You could write in about any quandary of life and she would respond publicly. And here's one. This is incredible. It says, Dear Abby... And I've used this before. You guys are going to love this. Dear Abby, you probably will think that this is from a crazy person. But I'm really quite sane. Except when it comes to Rudy and Ralph. I am 29. I have been married six times. Three times to each of them. Rudy and Ralph. Rudy and I were married right after I graduated from high school. I was 17. And Rudy was two years older. We fought from the day we were married. After a year, I divorced Rudy and fell in love with Ralph, the young lawyer who got the divorce from me. I soon realized that though I was still in love with Rudy, I divorced Ralph and married Rudy. Two for Rudy, one for Ralph. However, I discovered that I was three months pregnant with Ralph's baby. So I left Rudy to marry Ralph for a second time. Meanwhile, I kept having these strong feelings for Rudy. So I called him and asked him if he felt the same. He did, so we decided to try marriage again. Our pastor refused to marry us. So we went to a judge. After three years with Rudy, Ralph showed himself to be such a terrific father to our son, who we called Ralphie, that I let Ralphie talk me into going back to his father. So I divorced Rudy a third time and married Ralph for a third time. Now I can't seem to get Rudy off my mind. I saw a marriage counselor who suggested that I discreetly have an affair with Rudy to solve the whole thing. But I am a very moral woman. I want you to know that I've never slept with either of my husbands while being married to the other. So please tell me what to do. Signed, Torn in Two. Dear Torn, don't do anything while you're still torn. Stay with Ralph and get help. That was the easiest one for dear Abby to respond to. And you know, Hosea said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Proverbs says, without revelation, the people cast off restraint. And so I want us to get knowledge this morning. I want us to read God's revelation concerning marriage. And we're going to go to the beginning. We're going to go to the book of Genesis. And we're going to read Genesis 1, verse 26, 27, and 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. Listen, in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And now I want us to go to Genesis 2 and begin reading of verse 18. The Lord said, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. 
Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the rib. He brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Now, of course, this being Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, it's also the beginning of what the Bible has to tell us about marriage. It's the very beginning. And, and I, I found that marriage, as you would assume, is an inexhaustible topic. I mean, so much is written secularly out there in culture about marriage, and yet so much is written about it, even in the Scriptures. There's so much in the Scriptures, Old Testament and New. There is the law concerning marriage. First, we have what we see in the, in the book of Genesis. Then you can go through the law books and it, it speaks specifically about marriage. There are examples in the history books of your Bible that have examples of great marriages. There's some incredible marriages that were made in heaven. You can read about them in the Word of God. There are also some lousy marriages. There are stories of infidelity, of polygamy. It's all in there. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But let me say this one thing about marriage. The first couple was united in holy matrimony by their creator father. And the groom's name, we're told, was Adam. And the bride's name was Eve. Not Bob, not Calvin, not David, not Edward. If you understand what I'm saying, Adam and Eve. In the Hebrew, the words are ish for man and isha for woman. Adam and Eve. There is no non-binary option in creation in the Bible. It's not there. And listen once again to what God had said is recorded in Genesis 1.27. This is God speaking. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. That's it. There's only two options. I didn't say that. God said that. And they are meant to be together as the only God-ordained combination of life partners. That's it. You know, we the church need to believe God more than we believe the nonsense that is being espoused by society and culture and the foolishness of man. You go a little further, I want you to know that God has given specific guidance concerning sexual relations. I'm going to give you just a couple this morning. I mean, but this is throughout the scriptures. They're repeated throughout the Bible. For example, Leviticus 18.22 says this. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. And it's the same between a woman and another woman. Verse 23, to think that God had to put this, that he had to speak this, that he had to put it into his word because he knows, he understands the depravity of the human heart. 
But listen to this, verse 23, same chapter says, do not have sexual relations with an animal. I don't need the Bible to tell me that. That is the least of anything that I would desire. But God knows the heart of man. He says, and do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a perversion. And these are words spoken by Almighty God. And as I said, they display the depravity of human nature if it's left unchecked. And that's why we need to know God's word. God's word gives us boundaries. His Holy Spirit, if we know Jesus as Savior, gives us boundaries. And it's amazing what's been happening over the last several decades and even in the last decade. For example, um, about 10 years ago now, there was an NBA player by the name of Jason Collins. Most of you have long forgotten his name. But about 10 years ago, he was applauded for having the courage to be the first NBA player to publicly announce that he's homosexual, to publicly admit that he has sex with other men. That takes courage? How about some decorum? I don't talk about my sex life with anyone. Why would I want it on NBC Today show? Why does that make me a hero? Why does that mean that I'm, I'm courageous? I mean, think about this. For some time now, it has been considered an act of courage to sin against God. To call evil as though it is good. I mean, this isn't the only area. It's, it's all of life as we see the society around us continue to plummet. I mean, you know, it's considered courage to proclaim the evil you do publicly. That is insane. But know this, God in writing tells us that homosexuality is an abomination. It's a learned act of sexual depravity. Of course, we don't need to become homophobic. I'm not suggesting that. We don't have to take part in bashing those. If, if you're going to bash homosexuals, then you know what? You also need to go after adulterers, okay? Bottom line According to what God has said over the millennia, according to what God has said, the only sexual relationship that he approves of is between a husband and a wife, a married, listen to me, a married couple, not a man and his fiancee, but a married couple. That's it. That's the only sexual encounter that God approves of. Homosexual sex is condemned. Bestiality is condemned. Premarital sex is condemned. Extramarital sex is condemned. Doesn't mean there can't be forgiveness. Doesn't mean that there can't be conviction that brings someone to repentance. But there's only one formula, one arrangement that is completely condoned and affirmed by Almighty God. And for five very good reasons that I want to share. You know, not that God has to give us any reasons. If God said it, that should be good enough for every one of us. Amen? If God said it, that should be good enough. I don't need him to explain a thing. Because I know that his ways are better than my ways. I know that his ways are higher than my. So reason number one, I want to walk you through these. 
Reason number one, and we need to go back to the second chapter of Genesis, Genesis 2, verse 18, 19, and 20, just three verses. I want us to read it again. It says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And God said that, by the way. Adam didn't say, Adam didn't complain to God and say, I feel lonely. God said it. God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And then it says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that became its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But for Adam, none of them were good enough. For Adam, no suitable helper was found. So up until this point, we are told specifically that God had not yet created the perfect counterpoint for Adam. No, no living creature, nothing that existed at that point is going to bring more satisfaction to the man than the special act of creation that God is yet to perform in verses 21 and 22. And not to sound facetious, but Adam, Adam knows the inventory. He's looked around. I mean, the wildebeest, really? Definitely don't want to be married to a crocodile. Hi, oh my goodness. I'm just thinking all the African stuff. A hyena. Ooh, they're ugly. They're ugly. I mean, he knows the inventory. He named them all. He saw them all. He named them all. And he was alone and lonely. And he needed someone like himself. But yet different. He needed someone like himself, but different. Oh, yikes. But you know what's neat? You know what's neat is the Hebrew word that's used here to describe helper or helpmeet actually translates part opposite. Isn't that cool? In other words, even though I don't like, uh, let me phrase this carefully. Even though, wow, I don't know if I can phrase this. Maybe my wife could leave the room for a moment and then I can share with you how I really feel. Um, no, some of the differences, how do I, I you know, I got to go home to lunch. <laughs> so, yeah, some of the differences that she has, you fill in the blank. You know what I mean? They don't thrill me. I like the things that are like, I like things in her that are like me. I like when we're on the same page and we see things the same way. Like hubby vision. If we both had hubby vision. But we're different. We're different. And we need to be different. We, we need, guys and ladies, we need that other person to be part opposite. And, and what I have found, and she and I have discussed this probably years ago. I don't know if she'll remember this, but... If, if she were just like me, I would be so bored. Really. I don't want someone just like me. Well, I do, but I don't. I want her to be a little different. I want her to be part opposite. And it's so neat that the, that the biblical word means part opposite. So when God begins to work on this helpmate, this part opposite, he knows exactly what Adam needs. He's not just lonely and alone. God knows exactly what he needs. 
And men and women, husbands and wives, as you know, are part opposite. Amen? Uh, it should have been louder than that, really. <laughs> By the way, if you go home and there is no dinner, Popeye's chicken sandwiches are really good. <laughs> They're really good. Because Chick-fil-A is closed today, by the way. I'm praying that'll change someday. But, but we, we can. We can drive each other absolutely crazy. But we need each other. And God knew this. Genesis 2.18. It is not good for the man to be alone. Can you understand the full implication of that statement? I mean, God said it. That's what I love about it. God said it. Wouldn't you think that someone, somewhere, somehow, would have become so profoundly theological and spoken up and corrected God? But God, you're all that I need. Doesn't that sound real spiritual? God, you're all that I need. Adam, that's what Adam had. Adam had God all to himself, just one to one. And yet in the midst of that, God says that Adam needed someone else. Amen. Wouldn't you think that God would be all that we need? Not according to Scripture. And yet God labeled Adam alone and lonely. Adam needed a companion. And that is our number one reason that we desire marriage. God has created us. We are hardwired to want to share our human experience and our human experiences with a long, a lifelong partner. It isn't just for physical sexual gratification that we marry. Rather, we enjoy the idea of a single lifetime commitment to one other person of the opposite sex. And we really do. In fact, you know, when I was teaching sociology at Rowan College, my textbooks claimed that 95% of all Americans get married at least once. 95%. We do love marriage. In America, we love marriage. But also understand that marriage isn't for everyone. Matthew 19, 12, Jesus says that there are three types of people who will never marry. And that's okay. There's no guilt in that. But most of us want to be married, and we do marry. And in the process, a man and a woman become one flesh, according to the Word of God. Genesis 2.24 describes for us the process. A man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. And how I wish married couples took this to heart. And, and it's not just newlyweds. I mean, a lot of marital grief could be avoided if only, you know, those that are married would learn to leave and to cleave. I mean, I know married couples 15 to 20 years in who will still run to mom and dad every time there's a spat. And maybe you know people like that. You see the problem with this? The young man and the young woman need to grow up. They need some maturity. They need to cut the umbilical cord and stop mooching off mom and dad, both financially and emotionally. And of course, there's two sides to this. I mean, not only is it good for the young couple, but you know, do you, I hope you know this, God's plan with your children being married, God's plan is to help relieve parents of the burden of children after they've gotten married. Yeah, it's not a life sentence. <laughs> but grandparents and grandchildren have a special bond because they can team up against their enemy. But mom and dad, you know, as I've told, those that are newly married or those that, you know, are young and not mature enough, they keep running back to mom and dad. Also, on the other side, mom and dad, you, you need to quit meddling in your kid's marriage. 
to the woman, to the, to the wife, remember, little girl, you stand up for your man, work it out. And husband, she's bone of your bones, flesh of your flesh. And I love Ephesians chapter 5, and we won't touch that today, but Ephesians 5, Paul says that. That a man takes care of his body. Now, that doesn't mean athletically takes care. It means he, he feeds himself and you know, takes care of himself that way. Knows how if he wants something good to eat, he'll go ahead and go buy it. That's going to make it and buy it. And just as we care for ourselves, we are to care for our wives. That's Ephesians 5. We'll, we'll get to it. And I don't know exactly how that, how, that, how that works. I mean, but the two become one. The Bible tells us that the two become one. You know, even the Apostle Paul in that Ephesians 5 chapter, he called it a profound mystery, our coming together. And in that coming together, there's no room for parents in that formula. There's no room for in-laws. And listen to me, I'm not saying that young marriages in particular shouldn't consult parents or seek wisdom when it comes to major decisions, but there's a world of difference between giving advice and meddling. I like that word meddling. I mean, I don't like I don't like whatever it is, but I like meddling. It sounds bad. And some of you know the first several months, the first year of our marriage, Kathy and I, it was torturous. It was filled with disappointment, a lot of fighting. But thank God that neither one of us turned back to our biological families. We hung in there. As far as we know, our parents never knew. And God helped us through. Because we would have created more of a, more of a, you know, a, a, it, just, it just would have broken apart because your family's going to support you and her family's going to support her and what a horrible person you married. And it just, it just it gets exacerbated. It just get, gets larger and larger. So I'm glad we didn't do that. And if you haven't yet decided to leave and to cleave, then you're not mature enough for marriage. Because as I read scripture, this is God's plan. It's an expected part of the marriage process. And so to the young men, and we have a few weddings that are going to take place this year. But to the young men, I say this. The day that you think you're ready to marry a rib, you had better have already grown a backbone. Like that? That's clever, huh? (laughs) And I I didn't steal that from any other preacher either. That's but the, the reason I bring this up to you this morning, because I still remember when I was teaching freshmen and sophomores over at Rowan College, teaching sociology, just out of curiosity, because I had a theory, and, I, and it proved right over the years. But I would take a poll of each class to see who had declared majors and who had not. And without exception, I'm telling you, it was like almost 100%. The young ladies in my classes all knew what they wanted to do career-wise, but the guys were undecided. When I asked for who's, who's got a declared major and knows what they want to do, boom, all the ladies' hands would go up. No response from the men. In other words, she was going to college to become something. She had a goal in mind. She, was, she, was, she wasn't just going to college to figure out what to do. She knew what she wanted to do, and the guys were going to college trying to figure out what should I do. And to me, that seems like a troublesome indicator and that it might, it might even pop over into future marriages. So let's go back to number one purpose of marriage. For those of us who will marry or are married, we need to work on being a mature, committed companion. That's the number one purpose of marriage. It's what we desire from our spouse, and so we need to require it of ourselves. 
I think we're going to quit here. Because I've got four more. And I really want you to hold on to these, if you don't mind. So next week, we'll look at the other four points. Um, because there's just no way I'm going to do justice, really, by heading into them at this point. Um, and so we're going to close. And next week, we'll look at part two of the five reasons for marriage. So let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for your word. That it is, it literally is the only truth that exists in this world. There are so many vain philosophies. There are doctrines of demons. There's so much garbage floating out there in the media and social media and even just common culture. And Lord, I pray that we not be tainted by that, but that we would understand the power of the truth of your word. And specifically, Lord, as it pertains to marriage, as we're studying the marital relationship. Lord, I pray that we would, that we would put your word first, that your word would be preeminent in all of our, our thoughts, our personal doctrines and philosophies, in our practices and the things that we do, that your word would be first. Lord, we believe you. We believe you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, I do pray your blessing upon your people, Lord. I pray, God, that you would use this word today to begin to help us to appreciate the marriages that we are in already. Lord, what you have brought us through, the places you've taken us through in our, in our relationships. And Lord, for, for the marriage that is yet to happen in our life, for those of you that are not married, Lord, I pray a very special blessing, Lord, that you would put the perfect person into that person's pathway, that your will would be done in all of our relationships. Lord, I pray your blessing now upon your people. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless.